Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, Journey. Good morning. Uh, How is everyone doing this hot weekend? I hope everyone had some cooler plans. We got some rain yesterday, uh, but it was pretty hot. Um, But welcome uh, here this Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us uh, online, as well as for those of you here in the theater. Uh, My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at The Journey, uh, and I'm excited that you joined us today as we are continuing with our series. Check, check. We're good. Our brand new teaching series, Redemption, uh, Closing the Gap, where we have been taking a look at uh, different areas of our lives and and trying to see where we can apply wisdom found in scripture to close this gap between the ideal, where we want to be in our lives, and reality, which is often where we find ourselves instead. And, and today, we're taking a look at how to apply wisdom to our work, to our jobs, to the things that we do to make our finances. And most of you are here, and, and, and I almost heard an audible groan, because you're like, it is my Sunday. Don't you dare bring work up until tomorrow morning. And I get that. I get that. But I really do think that the Bible sheds some wisdom for us to be able to uh, influence our work lives, to not only improve our work lives, but to draw us closer to God during the process. Because our job is more than just the J-O-B, right? It's part of who we are. When you take a look at scripture and you take a look at the book of Genesis right in the very beginning, the Bible tells us that God created Adam and Eve, and he, and he put them in the garden to work it, to specifically work the garden. So work was something that God gave mankind, not necessarily cursed mankind with, right? We didn't have to do work as a result, as a punishment or a result of sin. Work is a part of who we are and how we function as humans, and I think there's a way to have a healthy work life and and to be healthy with your work. And one way to be healthy is to laugh. Uh, and I found some good work jokes, so I, I just want to share them with you. They're they're more along the dad joke line. So if you guys don't mind indulging, uh, I got a few here. I thought were good. Teamwork is important. It helps put the blame on someone else. That is good. Uh, I could have wrote this next one. I am great at multitasking. I can waste time, be unproductive, and procrastinate all at the same time. Many of you relate to that. There's a new trend in our office. Everyone is putting names on their food. I saw it today while I was eating a sandwich named Kevin. (laughs) Anybody really upset if somebody eats your food at work? That's me. I brought it for a reason. A work week is so rough that even after Monday and Tuesday, even the calendar says WT. F. Get it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you didn't, there you go. And last week, we've all been here. Nothing ruins a Friday more than realizing it's a Tuesday. 
that is just a bummer in the beginning of your week when you're like, is it over yet? And then you're like, no, I still have a few more days. But, uh, but today, today I want to take a turn and I want to take a look uh, and not necessarily tell you where you should work or how hard you should work or, you know, some of the things that maybe you think are coming, but really a way to apply wisdom to your life to improve work. So today I want to talk about some ways to win with wisdom at work, ways to win with wisdom at work. If you like my alliteration there, I liked the W's. I kept them all in line. And the first one we're going to take a look at is work with integrity to work with integrity. Now I'm going to say something that I personally believe with all of my heart. And it's that God cares more about your character than he does your productivity at work. He cares more about your character than how you do at work. See, work is needed, but it's not the most important thing in God's eyes. We do need to work. I don't think God is ever telling us not to work. The Bible actually, at some points in the early churches, says that if a man shouldn't work, he shouldn't eat. Right? They, they go to the extent of, of making the point that we do need to work, but that our character, I believe, is way more important than how productive we are at work. See, last week we, we talked about this phrase, the fear of the Lord, uh, that, that, that is seen in Scripture and, and actually dozen, uh, over a dozen times in the book of Proverbs. And, and it's essentially taking this concept of saying that God is good and anything evil on the evil spectrum, if you will, is the opposite of him. And so to fear the Lord is to acknowledge that God is good, to trust that he is good, and to live in his ways. And you see, your job, I don't believe, is by mistake. Even if your job right now, you feel, doesn't have a greater significant purpose. Maybe you feel a little pointless at your job. You feel like your job is a little bit pointless. But I believe that even the most mundane jobs are tools in God's hand to work in your character. To work in your life. And I want to encourage us not to waste a minute of it. You see, in, in your job setting, in your work setting, God is just as present with you as he is here in this theater on a Sunday morning. Maybe on Sundays, that's the day that you feel God the most, right? You're drawing closer to him. You have less distractions. But the truth remains that God remains as present with you at your job on Monday morning as he is present with you at church on Sunday morning. And see, you can choose a way to work that promotes a life of integrity, especially because the alternative puts you on a path away from that blessing. Take a look at what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says. It says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed will be found out. See, God is, is clearly in this saying, follow ways that are good, that are full with integrity, and you will find safer passage than following ways that are more uh, crooked or devious paths. Now, if your job puts you at a point where you feel like you can't work with that integrity, maybe you need to bring that before God. Maybe you need to pray about that because here's what I fully believe. 
I fully believe you can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a, a great person, a great dad, a great husband, a, a great mother, a great wife, but then go to your job and feel like you have to be a completely different person. Maybe it's just the environment that brings out the worst in you. Maybe it's the, the nature of the work that just doesn't sit with your soul. It just doesn't seem to be too full of integrity. Listen, I don't believe, I, I believe that you can be a good natured person and all still also still be dealing with that tension, but it doesn't mean that God excuses it and looks the other way. So my encouragement to you is to just bring it before him. Begin having a conversation with God about your dilemma and don't just ignore it. If that's something that your job is bringing out some very negative things in your life, begin to bring that before him instead of just ignoring it and putting work in a box. Because you see, it affects the other 75% of your life as well. Your family, your kids, your spouse, your personal life, your mental health. Work, although we put it in a compartment, does affect everything. So begin looking at that honestly and begin praying about your dilemma if you have one. This verse has kept me working more honestly uh, through the years, probably more than any other verse that's in Colossians 3. It says, work hard and cheerfully at what you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. See, if you follow God, if you would say, my life is based off, I am trying to grow closer to God, I'm, I'm trying to walk the walk that Jesus walked, then you have to trust that God is, is influencing your life. He's influencing and directing the steps of your life. And that means the job that you're working. That means that that is part of the plan. And that although maybe you don't like your boss necessarily, maybe you're not a huge fan of your boss if you really think of God as that boss, as you think of God as the influence on your life, if I have a problem, yeah, I have a boss or a, a, a superior that I can bring it to. But at the end of the day, I just go home and I tell God. I tell God about my dilemma. I tell God about the stress I'm having at work because I know he can change the things in me to make me more equipped to handle it and to walk through those different scenarios. So work with integrity. Second, be over generous. The second way to win with wisdom at work is to be over generous. And I know that right off the bat, this seems like, okay, be generous with your money. When you have money, give it. Sure, I think the scripture, especially Proverbs, talks a lot about that dozens of times. But that's not quite where I want to go with it today. See, when your heart is generous, everything about you is generous. God, again, caring more about your character, doesn't want you to be a generous giver. He wants you to be a generous person. He's changing your character to make you a more generous person. See, when it comes to your finances, God wants us to be generous for two reasons. One is, yes, to love others the way that we love ourselves, what scripture calls us to do. But secondly is to protect us. See, take a look at what Jesus uh, warns us about in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes a very clear point here. 
to warn us that money is the thing in this world that will most likely draw our heart away from God. He says right here, in life, you cannot serve both money and God. And that seems very interesting. Because when we say we serve God, if you would say you're a believer and you want to serve God, you want to love the Lord with your life, you still need money. It doesn't put you in this exempt form where it's like, oh, they're a Christian. They don't, they don't have to pay for anything. <laughs> Rent so, on God, right? We still need money. We still need finances. It doesn't quite make sense. That you, but what Jesus is going after here is your heart condition, not what you're doing. See, we do all need money. But whether your heart says that the almighty dollar is the one that dictates everything about your life or whether God is the one that begins to dictate everything about your life, Jesus says they come very close at some points. You'll learn to love one and hate the other or love that other one and hate the other, but you can't serve both. So Jesus wants to warn us and to protect us, to not let money and the allure of wealth overcrowd our hearts to make us less generous. See, being generous doesn't just remind our wallets that God leads our life. It reminds our hearts that God leads our life as well. So don't just be generous with your finances. Be a generous person. Be a generous person with your kindness. Go out of your way at work and care for somebody. Ask how somebody is doing. Maybe help somebody else out with some work that they have that's overloading them. Be generous with your time. Help them even if it costs you a little bit more of yours if you have that margin. Be generous with your prayer. The people you're close to at work, do you pray for them? Even if you don't tell them you're praying for them, do you pray for them? Do you think that God can influence your workspace enough that you cover even the most mundane job you may feel in prayer and ask God to use you in that? See, if you're anything like me, you want to be a good witness for Jesus, but when you're in an environment much like work where you don't know the religious landscape for everyone and you want to kind of be, you know, kind and you don't necessarily want to step on toes and make anyone uncomfortable, that's okay. There are some people who are naturally gifted to just go into a, a, a place and be able to be that natural witness. And if that's not you, kind of like me, do it with your action. Live in a way where people come up to you and they're like, why, why are you doing that? What, what is going on there? Why are you always so kind? Why do you always seem so calm? Why do you care so much about the people in the office? People will ask about your love, and that can be your witness. Let that be your pathway to entering into their life and, and to maybe influence them with the love of Jesus through your generosity. See, uh, in our witness we begin to shine this light in a place that maybe doesn't have light. See, when we're here at church, a body of, of several believers, many believers, we get the opportunity to be surrounded with like-minded people. We are you know, moving in one direction. We're learning about God. We are pursuing our faith. We are allowing it to change our lives. But we step onto the work field and Monday morning, that's Maybe you have an opportunity, maybe you know a few people who are in faith, but you may not in your day-to-day -day life, Monday through Friday. And so what God wants us to do is be those witnesses, to be those lights in place that might be more shadowed with darkness. And I've heard a saying that says, to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use your words. 
live the gospel, live that love, and let it shine louder than anything you can say. Second Corinthians uh, talks about, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I was at the wrong point. We're moving on to our third point here. So that's be generous, be extra generous, be over generous. Third is to give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. We all need more grace than we think we need. We all need this grace, not just for our mistakes, but for our weaknesses. And see, wisdom is funny like that. You begin talking about how to apply it to your life, how to live with integrity, to work with integrity, to be a more generous person, and everything seems good at church. And then you go home, and the kids decided to dress themselves in maple syrup and brown sugar, and that's all out the window, right? Wisdom is gone. All of a sudden, it's just the pure, raw emotion, frustration, anger, whatever may come to the point. And we need grace to be able to deal with those moments where the gap is just a lot larger than we were expecting between ideal and reality. You see, church... I often find that my best intentions are my roadmap to the work that God is doing in my life. I often find the parts of my life where I desire the best outcome, but I don't have the means to make it happen. Those are the areas I notice God is doing some of the most significant work in my life. Because it's in those areas that I find I'm striving and striving and striving And some days feel like I'm stuck in mud. But it's in that weakness that God is doing a much greater work that goes beyond what I can see. There's a little quote I came across. It says, pay attention to where you struggle and you'll find God's grace, but make it a double. We need more grace than we think that we need. Is where we struggle, we find that we really need grace. God and that he is doing a significant work there. And if you're anything like me, you may need that grace, if not for your weakness, but just simply because you don't know how to give that grace to yourself. I am not good at giving grace to myself. I am way too hard on myself and and a lot harder on myself than I need to be. But often we don't accept God's grace. Often we we hold ourselves to a high standard that not even God is holding us to. We hold ourselves to this level of perfection or this level of, of doing that God isn't necessarily expecting us to get to. And then we completely beat ourselves up when we don't hit those those benchmarks and those standards in ourselves. But you see, God wants to not work in the not necessarily work in the best part of you the area that you feel like you have it all together. He wants to work in your weakness. He wants you to bring your weakness to him. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, he mentions his weakness. We, we actually talked about this verse a few weeks back when we were in the, the series on the book of Acts, but he's talking about his weakness. And he says, each time God said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
if you're here and hearing that God wants to work, that his power is made best in weakness, and that is a, a, a line that doesn't quite make sense, then the only way to experience why that's true is to bring your weakness to God. Because that's what he wants. He wants your heart. He doesn't want you to be this fully functioning machine that just does everything right. That's not an attainable goal. But what he does want is for you to bring your heart to him. For you to begin to know his character and draw closer to him in this relationship with him. And we do that by opening our weakness up, by opening the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't share with anybody else. We begin just opening our relationship up to God and allowing him to come into those areas. And it's hard to do. The second you begin to do that, there's shame, there's guilt, there's past mistakes that you haven't let yourself go for. It's a very hard thing to do, but it starts by just being open. It starts by reading this verse again and again and again and saying, I believe that God's power works best in my weakness. He doesn't say it's good, church. He says his power is best in your weakness. If you want to see God's best power, be weak. Be in your weakness. Boast in your weakness because in that area, God is strong and you will begin to see that work through your life. You'll begin to see it work like yeast in dough slowly begin to build itself up in your life, slowly begin to build itself up in your character, strength, and, and, and drawing close to God. When you begin that process, it begins to build. And that's redemption. You see, redemption is sitting down and saying, I don't have what it takes to be there. And I know that's where I want to go. I know that's where God wants me to be. I know God wants to get a, a, a rain on my anger. I know God wants me to experience some freedom from this depression, from this anxiety, from this negativity. I know God wants me to push past these cycles in my life that I keep coming back to time and time and time again. And the years go by and I feel like nothing has changed. And God, what are you doing? He wants you to bring your weakness to him. And he wants you to just rest in it. He doesn't want you to go out, fix it, solve it, and come back. He doesn't want you. Uh, I keep hitting this, this button for some reason. He doesn't want you to make excuses about it. He doesn't want you to, to try and, and excuse why you did what you did and, and, and explain it away to him and say, God, I'm sorry, there was just this and this. and this. God's not, a, he doesn't care about the excuse. He's not bringing condemnation and shame to you in your weakness. He just wants your heart and he wants it wide open, ready for him to begin doing a work and to continue the work that he's already doing. Church, if God's weakness, or if your weakness is the area where God's strength is best, that means you don't have to be strong. That means in that area that you be strong, trying to be strong, trying to be strong, and you find that you're just not mustering up enough strength, that's okay. 
That's where grace is. That's where redemption is. The point we get where we just have nothing left. God steps in and he says, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. I've provided everything you needed to get to this point, And I'm not letting you down now. I'm seeing you through to the finish line on that struggle. And I won't leave you alone. God's strength is perfect in our weakness. And we need to give ourselves grace. And to let ourselves experience that grace from God. Lastly, our fourth point. That last one wasn't too much about work. I guess I just wanted to talk about that. So there there you go, guys. (laughs) Our fourth, fourth point. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your work. The Bible actually tells us that King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that he was a man with many ventures, both military, economically, personally. He he worked a lot. Nothing was withheld from him. He planted vineyards and cities and temples and castles. But check out what he says about all of his toil in the book of Ecclesiastes. Verse 9, he says, what do people really get from all their hard work? Skipping down to verse 12. I've concluded, there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. See, his advice wasn't put some extra hours in at the office, it'll pay off. Or make sure that you work More than you play, that's how you get ahead in life. See, Solomon came through his entire life and then concluded that we should find joy in our labor. That we should eat, drink, and be merry with the fruits of our labor. I I guarantee that he also wants us to work hard. But what does it mean for you to enjoy the fruits of your labor? See, we, we mentioned earlier that we were created for work that God back when in in the creation account when he created man he put him in the garden to work it but he was only doing that as after he modeled how to work see when God scripture tells us created the world after every day what did he do he rested he viewed it he looked back on his work and he said that was good that was a good day That everything I created there, that was good. And I think it's so interesting that God, the the creation account, the Genesis account gives us these different days. Because if it's God, he created the days. He could have just done it all at once, right? there's, There's this process, this order, this work that he was almost patterning out for us of putting in hard work, stepping back and saying, that was good. That day is done. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to enjoy it. Tomorrow's another day. See, Jesus actually tells us in this Sermon on the Mount uh, where he was talking about money and, and being cautious with your heart and not being cautious of serving both God and money. He also encourages us not to worry. You see, he says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Today is what you should be focusing on. He says, keep first the kingdom of God. Keep first your walk with God. Keep first bringing God into these areas of your life, your your home life, your relationships, your work, your job. Keep God first. Seek the kingdom of heaven. And all of these other things will be given to you. 
God makes it very clear that as we begin pushing forward, keeping him first, every other area in our lives falls into play. You might be sitting here right now and you, you're, you're like, okay, that's cool. Be positive, be thankful, enjoy my work. Bobby, you have no idea what I do for work. There's no way to enjoy this. It's mundane. It's boring. It's, it's very, very pointless. Well, I would say scientifically you're wrong, and that's not to be rude, but there is actually a word I found. It's called neuroplasticity. It's a super scientific sounding word, but it essentially describes our brain's ability to form new thought, to form new patterns and ways of thinking. You see, each one of us have an outlook, a worldview, how we view the world, how we operate, how we problem solve. The way we do those things has been set in place since we were kids, since we were children, in the house we were raised in, the home we were raised in, the experiences we had then, the experiences we had as adults in life, all of those have begun to form the way we think about life and the way we go about problem solving. But this scientific term, this new research, neuroplasticity, now tells us that we can begin forming new patterns, that we can begin understanding why we do things the way we do and changing the way we think about it. And so with your work, yeah, it may be mundane, it may be boring, but you can begin to tell your brain that you're grateful for it because it's providing you money. You can begin looking back and saying, hey, I worked a good day today. I'm going to be satisfied with what I did. I'm going to give that grace. And over time, you begin to change that way of thinking, and that becomes the primary way of solving these issues, of looking at life. And so we have a way to enjoy our work. We want to be reminded of it. We want to renew our mind in that goodness. See, work, although a struggle, and although sometimes we just want to keep during the week. We don't want it to invade our weekends. We don't want it to even enter our minds once the weekend comes. But the truth is, when we do And when we take that step and we give God the platform in our jobs and in our work and say, God, enter in here, we begin to see that it not only changes our work life and how we feel about our work, but it begins to do so much more in our character and our life. Because we realize that the area of work that I've just been keeping separate is something God's been wanting to work in the whole time. And it's a big part of who I am. It's a big part of how I function. It's a big part of my character. And I want to let God in that so he can begin to show me his wisdom in all of those ways. Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all the work you've done in our lives, in our hearts. God, I thank you for the work that we have Uh, the work that we get to do, whatever that may be individually. We thank you for financial provision in a time where our economy just isn't doing the greatest. Uh, God, I pray for those who are here right now and they're out of work. They're struggling financially. They're fearful of bills being paid and rent being paid and food being put on the table. It's a very real struggle. And I pray, Father, not just for the financial provision for those people, But for those individuals, would their faith today be taken to a new level? Would they begin to trust you with their finances and with their life? Would they take to heart 
your passage that says that if we put first the kingdom of God, everything else will be given to us that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. You've got tomorrow taken care of. Help us to find peace today and trust in you today. We thank you for the wisdom that we find in scripture and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.